grace and peace to you from God our Father and from His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that I'd like to study with you more this morning is primarily the Gospel reading from John chapter 1. I'll also make brief reference to the other two readings that's all printed out in the worship folder if you'd like to follow along. You already saw my lamb. But when you see a lamb, what do you think about? I know the children's lesson already prompted your mind, but, but maybe you would naturally think of a, a barnyard animal, a small, white, apparently soft, tame, defenseless creature. And maybe you had a lamb as a child or, or had one at a petting zoo or saw one at a petting zoo. Maybe, uh, like one of our children, you, you had a, a stuffed animal lamb when you were a child, and so it, it, it brings you comfort to think about cuddling when you went to sleep. Maybe, and I can't sing it for you, but you think of, I am Jesus, little lamb, ever glad at heart I am. Do you think of Jesus? Is, is Jesus the first thought that pops into your mind whenever you see a lamb? That's really what John the Baptist encourages us to think today. We have to distinguish the two Johns. There's John the Baptist. He's the main character in our account today. While John the disciple and gospel writer is writing about this, he's also, we're going to learn, part of the story. John the Baptist, as we heard last week, had already baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And sometime soon after that, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he stopped what he was doing and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now we have to remember that John was talking primarily to Jews or people who descended from Abraham, the Old Testament nation of Israel. And in the Old Testament, a, a lamb had so much more significance and value than, than maybe we can fully appreciate. Now, I can't find record of this in the Bible, but I, I think it goes all the way back to Adam. For certain, Cain and later, Noah and Abraham, they all sacrificed or offered animals to God simply in worship. There's no command of God to do that. We don't have any record of Adam doing it, but he must have been the one to teach his sons, both Cain and Abel, although Abel likely brought grain, to offer these sacrifices. It was just worship. They knew that God was the one who had created the world and given them their lives and their bodies and everything they had. And so they offered some of what God had given them to say thank you. Later, though, when we get to Moses, God commanded the sacrifice of animals, including lambs. Can you think of the first time he might have done that? The Passover. Remember that God sent Moses back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, let my people go. And when Pharaoh said no, God sent plague after plague after plague. I never remember the order, but there was blood and frogs and flies and gnats and the animals got sick and the people got sick and there was darkness and there was hail. The last plague, however, was the threat that the angel of death would put to death the firstborn child and animal in every household unless... By God's command and through faith in his promise, they would sacrifice a lamb at twilight. 
paint its blood on the doorframe, eat the, the roasted lamb with bitter herbs and spices ready to leave. Because God promised that when the angel of death came, the Egyptians would beg the Israelites to leave. And they did. God delivered his people from slavery after 430 years. And to commemorate the occasion, God commanded the Israelites to celebrate the Passover every year on the 14th of their month, Nisan. At twilight, they were to slaughter the lamb and, and remember how God had delivered them in the past and how God promised to deliver them from a greater slavery, the slavery of sin, still in the future. After that, God established an entire system of sacrifices through Moses. There were five main sacrifices. You can read about them in one of my favorite books of the Bible, Leviticus. The main sacrifice was called a whole burnt offering, where you simply took the animal and presented it to God. You didn't save the meat. You didn't save the wool. You didn't worry about using anything from the animal. You simply gave it to God every morning and every evening. In addition to that, God commanded his people to bring their own personal individual offering of a lamb for every time they sinned, I shouldn't say every time, for their sin and their guilt. I always find it interesting that those are separated. God made it very clear that there was a debt, a payment for sin, blood, sacrifice, death. But when the people brought their animals to church, the priest slaughtered the animal. He slit its throat. He took the blood and poured it out around the altar. And then he burnt the animal. I mean, when you came to church, you could smell the slaughterhouse. It was a constant reminder. And yet, if you think of all of the hundreds of thousands of lambs that must have been sacrificed from Moses to Jesus, which is about 1,500 years, it still didn't pay for sin. Another sacrifice was still needed. Praise God, you don't bring animals to church and I don't have to slaughter them and this doesn't smell like blood and death. But I wonder if because we don't do that, we don't always fully appreciate the debt that we also owe God for sin. God made it clear to Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat from the tree in the middle, you will die. Ezekiel said it later on, the soul that sins is the one that will die. In the New Testament, Paul said, Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. I don't know that we fully appreciate the blood, the sacrifice, the death that we owe to God. Could you imagine if God asked you to bring a lamb for sacrifice for every time you sinned? I don't know how many times you sin in a day, but for easy math, let's say it's 10. That's 3,650 lambs every year. I don't even know how much that would cost. If if you're the age of 10, that's 36,500. By the time you're 40 and I'm past that, you're over 125,000. You get to 80, we're talking about a quarter of a million lambs, and it still doesn't pay the debt. There's nothing. You couldn't give God all of your money. You couldn't give God all of the money in the world. It's all his anyway. But even if you could gather it together and give it to God and say, can I pay for my sin? It still wouldn't cover the debt. You can't do enough good deeds. Sometimes people think, well, if I do something bad, I'll do something good and I'll balance it out. That doesn't work. God doesn't say balance out your evil with good. He says, 
don't do any evil, do everything good, holy, perfect. And so we owe this debt. When we fully appreciate how much we owe God, we can despair. In fact, that, that's why hell is eternal, you realize. Even when we die, if we were to suffer, it, it would never end. But then John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. Now, in the Old Testament for the Passover, they were supposed to bring a one-year-old male lamb without blemish. In other words, as perfect as you can find a lamb. You're not supposed to bring the old one that's about to die, or the diseased one, or the crippled one, or the runt of the litter. You're supposed to bring the best. Every single one of those lambs, I'm estimating hundreds of thousands, they all pointed ahead to the lamb. Jesus was more than one year old. He was 33 when he died. He's male, but more importantly, he was spotless, blameless, not just the best that you could find, but absolutely holy. John the Baptist realized that when Jesus came to be baptized, John knew baptism was for repentance, forgiveness of sins, and, and Jesus didn't have any sins. He said, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should baptize me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. We'll do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus isn't just any lamb. He's the lamb of God. God didn't choose an earthly animal. God, God didn't choose a, a lamb that would belong to someone else. God chose his one and only son, much like he asked of Abram. Remember that? When God promised Abram a son, Isaac was born. He had to wait until he was really old. And finally, Isaac's born. And then God says, okay, now sacrifice him. And, I, and Abram had, had the knife raised and was ready to sacrifice his one and only son, the son of the promise, the son whom he loved. And then God said, oh, don't do it. I just wanted to see if you would. Except God did. He followed through. He sacrificed his only Son, I don't know about you, and my kids probably don't believe me, but I will do just about anything to help my children, not to sacrifice them. The priest in the Old Testament would often place his hands on the animal before sacrifice to symbolically represent taking the sin of the person and putting it on the animal so we can sacrifice the animal and not the person. And that's what God did with Jesus. God took the sin of the world, all of your sin, all of my sin, and he placed it on Christ. Isaiah said that so beautifully in chapter 53 of his prophecy. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brings us peace was on him and by his wounds, or if you like the King James, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus' blood wasn't poured out around the altar in the temple. He was sacrificed outside of Jerusalem on a hill, but his blood was poured out on the wood of the cross. 
And he wasn't placed on top of an altar, but he was hung on that cross, and there he made payment. Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus' payment erases our debt. He says, God forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. God took the record of your sin. Mine has to be this long. And he said, no more payment. No more sin. No more guilt. No more death. That's why you don't have to bring sacrifices. You don't owe God blood or sacrifice anymore. You don't have to bring money. I know we collect money. That's a thank offering. But you don't have to bring money to say, God, please forgive me. You don't have to go home and say, I have to do so much better tomorrow so that God will forgive me. The payment's been made. And not just for you. But for all, that was Isaiah's point in our first reading. God said to his servant, it's not really enough for you to just save one nation of people, Jacob or Israel. I want to send you to be a light for the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You can't find a person who lives on this earth whose sins have not been forgiven. But that means when you look in the mirror, you don't have to wonder if your sins have been forgiven. Because if Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, that includes you. So how do we respond? Well, that, that's what I love about this reading. At first, I'm like, oh, there's, there's a lot in this reading from John. It includes two days. On the first day, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. And he, he must have had a crowd of his disciples around them, but no one did anything. But then... John the Gospel writer says, The next day, John the Baptist was standing there again with two of his disciples. One of them is named Andrew. The other one's not named. It's likely the writer, John the Apostle. And John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God. It's as if he was telling them, Go, it's time for you to quit following me as your rabbi, our teacher, and go and follow them. And when they did that, they teach us how we can live as a lamb. And I want to just briefly use the word lamb for a little memory tool and acronym. The first thing is simply to look. It's to recognize that when we see Jesus, we're not just looking at a teacher or a preacher or a role model. We're looking at the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if that's who Jesus really is, why wouldn't we latch on and follow? And Andrew and John, they finally got the point. And they follow Jesus. I actually think it was kind of creepy at first because they just started walking behind him. And, and Jesus turned around and he said, uh, what do you guys want? And that leads to the A. They simply asked, where are you staying? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I don't think they just wanted to write the address down so they could send a greeting card. They were asking, can we, can we come with you? We too want to ask Jesus, where can I spend time with you? And he always answers the same way now. It's, it's in his word. And that leads us to want to meditate. 
It's to spend time with Jesus. Certainly, we always want to learn more, but sometimes we just want to appreciate more. It's like going on a, a date with your wife. When Heather and I have an opportunity to do that, we're not always going so that we can learn more information about each other. I mean, maybe there's some information to share or, or there's a nice discussion that we have. But, but sometimes you just want to be together. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we'll want and feel comfortable bringing others. In fact, that's exactly what Andrew did. Andrew and John spent the entire day with Jesus, and, and that was just the beginning. They, they would begin to spend parts of every day with Jesus, and, and eventually they would spend all day every day with Jesus until Jesus left. And, and they would not only bring some, but, but many, but it all started for Andrew with his brother. As soon as he got done spending the day with Jesus, he ran to his brother. He said, Peter, Simon, I found him, the Messiah, the Christ, the one we've been looking for. You can do that too. It, and it might be more simple than you think. You might find somebody who is having a rough time. Maybe they're feeling guilty. And all you need to do is say, look, it's a lamb. It's the lamb of God. It's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that means your sin too. Amen. Please stand.